Abolition. Abolition. Well, Lita, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, You know, let's start with this. When people think about um, racism, I think a lot of people think of slavery in the South. But let's talk Oregon's history. How far back do you have to go to find that sort of inequality? Absolutely. I think that's really important that a lot of myths about race are told in this country, one of them being that racism is something that's located in the South. The reality is racism is an American problem. Malcolm X said anything south of the Canadian border is the South. And so the issues around race and the foundations of white supremacy in Oregon have existed since before Oregon was a state. Uh, The foundations of, of the Oregon Territory were as a racist white utopia. And we can see that by many laws that have been passed, especially the black exclusion law. The first one was passed in 1844, which outlawed black people from living in the Oregon territory, which was the entire Northwest. That law also included the lash law that said that black people would be publicly whipped up to 39 lashes every six months until we left. So from the very foundation of Oregon as a territory, as a state, this has been the product of being a racist white utopia. Hey, y'all, this song right here is for all the transplants and the natives. No matter where you're from, we're just glad you made it, you know? Making it a party. Everybody's invited. Anybody with a belly button? Yeah, let's do it. Got the speakers to activate some noise. We throw the party. 
day. Every day. Every day. Every day. You just heard. Oh, sorry about that. Let's restart that. You just heard Walida and Marisha discussing Oregon's racist history and black exclusion laws. And that was followed by Ain't It Fresh, the Oregon song, Alcyon Massive. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, broadcasting live in week five of the eight weeks of abolition series. It's just unbelievable. Where's the time gone? So last week, while I was, uh, you know, tending to my mom and nursing her back to good health, uh, Curtis Davis of Decarcerate Louisiana stood in both as a guest and co-host. So definitely thank you again, Curtis, for doing that uh, bang-up job you did for sure. And we were also joined by Her Majesty, Hojito Dewutu, the Wolti Desir, I'm going to get it right one of these days, <laughs> the Queen Mother of the Republic of Benin. Uh, if you missed it, definitely want to go back and check that out because a very powerful dialogue uh, with the uh, Queen Mother coming in and especially her discussing, you know, the, the movie uh, The Woman King and also her status, you know, being the Queen Mother and still being involved in the abolitionist movement. So very good dialogue we had. Uh, in this fifth of an eight, fifth episode of an eight-week series, we're going to be joined by Riley Burton. Riley is the lead organizer for Oregon's Measure 112 and also a member of Oregonians United to End Slavery. You can find out more about them, OregonianSunitedToEndSlavery.com. We're down to the wire in abolishing constitutional slavery in the five states known as the Freedom Five, Louisiana, Tennessee, Alabama, Vermont, and Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> yeah, Oregon, Oregon. I'm going to get the correct pronunciation from Riley when we get, get him on the air. So we'll discuss the abolitionist efforts in Oregon, the unique history of the state, and how you can help make history on November 8th. And, of course, we'll have incredible music mixes, and we'll bring the ancestors' voices back to life for a new generation on our Bridging the Gap segment. We'll conclude part two of the Bridging the Gap with the shocking 1888 speech by Frederick Douglass where he denounces the Emancipation Proclamation as a stupendous fraud. So if you're a slavery abolitionist, don't miss a single one of these eight episodes. You have to go back, start with week one. We're in week five now, because tomorrow depends on you. So let's make our envisioned future a reality. So before we jump into tonight's program, Max, a lot went down this past week. Yeah, uh, so you want to bring us all. up to speed on that? 
in that opening track, a lot went down. You know, a lot went went down, man. He was dropping. Yeah. She she broke down how Oregon was supposed to be this white utopia, right? And even had black exclusion laws talking about whipping people every 90 days or so if you're not out of the state with 39 lashes. And then right behind that came exactly that, a utopia song. Like, Oregon is the shit, y'all. He said so much. He said, uh, compared to other states, Oregon is a masterpiece, right? And then right. he said, there ain't no such thing as an Oregon thug. I don't know. I saw the people rise up during the George Floyd uh, uh, you know, situation in Oregon, and they look pretty damn thuggish to me. Like, they would be kicking some ass and giving the opportunity. <laughs> Tuberville. Tuberville. Yeah. yeah. Tommy Tuberville. Tuberville. Yeah. 
literally calling all black people criminals for, for wanting reparations. It was it was crazy. Y'all got to hear it in a clip later today. Uh, and then finally, I wanted to talk about Sister Tina Wyatt. Uh, I talked to her about the prison that we found, uh, which is a woman's prison, using Harriet Tubman's name. Uh, and yeah, she's right. not feeling that at all. I got a feeling that her family is going to follow through with getting that place renamed uh, and possibly more. I don't know. But there is literally a prison named after Harriet Tubman. Uh, after the show last, the week before last, I believe it was Sean, said, hey, Max, did you know about this? And he showed me a link where this Frederick Douglass group was working with Core Civic. And I'm like, wow, uh, what else is going to happen? Is there going to be a Harriet Tubman prison? And just because I know how evil they are, I said, let me Google that because they might have done some sick shit like that. And Mm-hmm. Darn if they didn't. It sure Harriet enough. Tubman, yeah. Harriet Tubman Residential Center Offender lo- uh, Lockup. That's what it's called. Amazing. And it's for young women to uh, be locked up under the name of Harriet Tubman. And it's been that way since 1993, which tells me another thing that they were using that Clinton Biden crime bill money in order to fund them. And then recently they got right. another $12 million uh, under the name of Harriet Tubman. You know, those are the three things I wanted to mention today. So back to you, Brian. Well, I mean, that's that's great information. Uh, a lot of it is going to come out in the broadcast. I just want to uh, also make sure that we mention uh, Pastor Kenny Glasgow, Kenny Sharpton Glasgow, as uh, in Alabama. Uh, he should be our guest next week. For yes. when we cover Alabama, uh, I, I can't think offhand what the what their measure is there, what it's number four. it Amendment is. Amendment four. Amendment four. Amendment four, right? Yeah. So of course you would know. <laughs> Amendment four next week, and we'll have uh, again we'll have Pastor Kenny Sharpton Glasgow on next week. You know, so he can speak about that and also give mm-hmm. us more details about the events that went on this past weekend. Uh, so All right. I'd like to just jump right into it and bring our guest in, Max. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. Go ahead, brother. So once again, we're going to be joined by Riley Burton. He's the lead organizer for Oregon's Measure 112 and a member of Oregonians United to End Slavery. So without further ado, Riley Burton, please welcome well, to welcome the show back, Abolition Today. With Max Parthas and you, hello, hello. on. Uh, welcome back, brother. Thank hey, you, we man. hear you, Riley. Howdy, howdy. How y'all doing? We're awesome, doing good. Man. So, first things first, is it Oregon or Oregon? <laughs> Oregon, Oregon. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a it's, a it's a funny thing though, right? Because out here on the coast, there's like. There's so much about Oregon that's unknown, including the name, right? But we, I really loved listening to that intro about um, Oregon founded as a white supremacist state because it's something that's right. like inherent to the to the state itself. You can see it in it's the population of Oregon is still mm-hmm. overwhelmingly white, right? It's a there were sundown towns in this state until incredibly recently. Like it's like it's not. Like that history is very real and very present at the same time we choose to ignore it. And that happens with this language too, right? The amount of times that we that I go like, Hey, slavery is legal And people go like, What the, what are you talking about? 
and then I have to pull out a little constitution and show them the literal language it is in front of all of our faces. We all took these classes in high school that, like, we were supposed to learn about state history and whatnot, and it's conveniently left out that we never finished the job. It never actually ended slavery in this country. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. And I'm glad you listened to the opening track with uh, Sister Walida. Uh, and that uh, any fresh, <laughs> I just thought the, the song is cool, but it certainly is talking about Oregon being another utopia. And I bet you this is yeah, my that song, that song history, was funny. You know? That was a funny song. <laughs> <laughs> but Oregon, uh, mm. you know, I, I was talking to somebody out of Oregon the other day in regards to what's going on with these amendments, and they were like, "Well, what is this going to change? Is it going to change anything um, in the?" Uh, in the inmates' lives and stuff like that, it's the common question you probably get too. And I was like, hey, can we just focus on the fact that slavery is legal? <laughs> like, like, can we start there? Slavery is legal. We want to make it illegal. And you have a problem with that because, <laughs> you know, are you looking too far ahead? Right now, it's freaking legal. And it's not to think that any state would exploit a loophole like this. As a matter of fact, Oregon was exploding, exploiting the loophole of the uh, non-unanimous jury up until what? Was it last year or the year before last? Where there was yeah, literally April 2020. juries until the Supreme Court said, hold on a minute, this is unconstitutional, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you there. Um, and I think, uh, I think a big piece about it is to, like, we actually do get that question pretty often, like, what is this going to do? for the incarcerated people in Oregon. And I want to double down on this thing. So, like, I was introduced as the lead organizer here. And I'll give that, like, a quarter truth. There's at least three of them, right? right? (laughs) Yeah. Because there's there's at least, I think there's at least six of them, right? Because when we started this uh, two years ago, right, it was me, Nikki, and Jordan on the outside, but Mm -hmm. we were acting on behalf of Uru Sasa on the inside. Right, we were we were getting a lot of guidance from our incarcerated and formerly incarcerated cohort, and like their voices are the things that carried um, carried this amendment through, and carried the ideals that we put behind this amendment. When we came in with like, what does this amendment really mean to people? What does this really mean to our incarcerated and formerly incarcerated um, people? And it means that they are people, not property. It is insane to have a government come in and tell you that you are property, tell you that you are a machine for Mm -hmm. the production. And that's insane to anybody. That's outside of race. That's outside of um, economic class. That is – the government can come in anywhere, and for any crime, slavery is a valid punishment. That first step. Of classifying our people, classifying our Americans, classifying the people who mm-hmm. live here as people, the world, because it's something that we shouldn't have to fight for. And yet we're out here running a ballot campaign 200 years after, and like into the into the history of this nation, right? To do exactly that, to have people be people. It's so crazy yeah. when you think about it. Uh, 
Is that one of the most common questions that you get? What other questions do you get in regard to your efforts to remove this slavery language from the Oregon Constitution? I mean, we get we get a fair amount of like questions that surround like, oh, was that isn't that already outlawed, right? Um, and we went over that. <laughs> uh, we get and we do get those and we do get those questions of like, what does this actually do? We get a couple of those. We get a we get a couple a couple of my favorite questions that I get are, isn't prison just slavery? Isn't incarceration just slavery? And it's like, no, it's not. It's actually defined as something that's completely different. Prison itself is not. Slavery. Right. Incarceration is not itself slavery. It is a separately defined um, punishment in our constitutions. Um, you can be incarcerated, and you and you can have slavery as punishment for a crime. They're two different two different things. And we get that. Um, we get uh, what's the point of doing this a lot? What's the point is of symbolic? changing yeah. this? Is it symbolic in that in that sense? And like, I get, there's always a there's always multiple answers to like that symbolic question, right? There's like, well, how symbolic is it when it's making a real material change in the way that people are affected by their government, right? And how symbolic is it when you can like proudly stand there and be like, I'm not a slave. That's a that is a mental thing for people. That is a real, tangible thing for right. people. Um, and in the other sense of like, even if it was symbolic, what does that matter to you then? Like, um, I mean, like, uh, if if someone's going to be really hard on this point of like, oh, it's only symbolic. Well, it's already on the ballot. So what's your issue? Um. If it's on the ballot and you think it's only a symbolic change, then let's have your let's have the symbolic change. Or do you want to be symbolically uh, against, or do you want to be symbolically for slavery? Jeez, I get a lot of these questions too, man, um, and it's pretty amazing. Sometimes people will write questions to me that are triple or quadruple the length of the exception that they never read. <laughs> you know, like, can you start there? <laughs> Just read the damn exception clause we're talking about with your own eyes, you know? That's really a starting point, and that can wake people up all by itself. Just think critically about what you just read. Um, so it's clearly stating in Oregon that slavery is legal as a punishment for a crime. That by itself is wrong. Mm-hmm. How about like seven words. That? Right. Now, it, it, will there be ripple effects, changes that occur behind this? I would think that that's inevitable. Anytime you change a law, there's always ripple effects from it. What will those ripple effects be? How the hell would we know? Nobody's ever seen a, nation, a time in this nation when slavery was illegal, when it wasn't in practice. We don't know what a free nation looks like. We don't know what a free state I really looks like. Agree. Very, right. So how can we predict what's going to happen? Go ahead, Riley. All we can do is say. All we can do is take the first step here, right? Because, like, yeah, I don't know what what morphs into after this. All I know is that whatever comes next will take work. Mm-hmm. It will take a lot of motivation. It will take strong groups of organizing and strong community support to create next steps from this. But this first step is just that. It is the doorway into a never-before-seen 
version of the United States of America. Right. And that's incredibly right. exciting. I was doing an interview with, I think it was CNN, and they were asking me about the lawsuits in Colorado, and are there going to be more lawsuits uh, against the system like that? And I was like, listen, people have been suing this system, the prison system, for slave-like conditions and Eighth Amendment violations and Fourteenth Amendment violations since 1865. It, it is nothing new. For the entirety of it. For the entirety of it. Right. This is like not the first time. We just saw immigrants suing Geo Group for being well, forced to work for a dollar a day, right, in a class action lawsuit. It's not new. It is new is that Brother Yusuf did a report about a year ago where he followed the cases where people had challenged the 13th Amendment and the conditions that they were under. And almost every time, literally every time, the court would rule that the 13th Amendment clearly allows for slavery and involuntary servitude case dismissed. You don't have a case. I want to see what it looks like when that protection for the institution of slavery no longer exists. I'm very curious. Right. I'd love to see what, what happens then. What about you, Riley? And I can I can hear the alarm bells going off already of like, oh, well, <laughs> um, clearly if like, uh, clearly if slavery is outlawed, then all these things will happen. It's like, the courts aren't that clear. Right? Because we've never actually gotten, as you were saying, to ask this question in genuine, right? We've never got we've never gotten to the point where we could ask this question genuinely of like taking a real look at labor inside of prisons because it's always been shut down by this doorway, and like mm-hmm. it's one of those things where people don't want to open the door because they're afraid of what they're going to find. If your value prop to me is that prisons honestly depend on slavery to run, then we're going to have an issue, right? But if you're going to be a denier out here and say, like, no, we don't use slavery inside of our walls. We don't use slavery in our U.S. prisons. Those men aren't slaves. Those women aren't slaves. Those people aren't slaves. Then what do you got to worry about? Let's ask the question. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Just oh, ask the I question. Right. You got more you want to say? I think I'm good on that one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just gonna. Uh, he, he he touched on something. You know, I just wanted to point out that uh, Worth Rises released the uh, the prison industry corporate database. You know, because we know that the prison industry is worth eighty billion dollars. And that includes mm. thousands of corporations. They just released a database of 4,000 corporations that do business with the prisons. And they also score them. They have a thing called the harm score, which it measures the engagement of each corporation in human rights violations along three criteria. So the gravity of the violation, their responsibility for the violation, and their responsiveness to advocacy. And I just wanted to point that out, and then I wanted to point out an an article about the – give me one second to scroll up to it. He's the warden of the prison receiving – he has a salary of $79,000, but he received over a a million dollars in kickbacks from the prisons for feeding – 
What state for was feeding. That? This is in Oregon. Oregon, okay. This is in Oregon. This is uh, Monum. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, this gentleman's name. His name is Farhad Fred Monum. And it's an Oregon DLC food manager, takes over a million in bribes, feeds prisoners distressed food, according to prison prisonlegalnews.org. And so I just wanted to get some feedback from you as far as just the overall conditions in the Oregon prisons, because I know uh, private prisons have been banned in Oregon. And they've also outlawed sending those incarcerated to other states. But we know slavery goes beyond that. It's also about warehousing bodies and then also the human rights violations associated with it. So I just wanted to get your insight into this, some of the things that are going on in the prisons up there. Yeah, I mean, like I, I'll speak to that in light, right, because we got – a lot of formerly incarcerated guys on the team and currently incarcerated guys who collaborate and they will always be the authority for this for me. And so everything that I say comes for, comes through that lens of not having that lived experience. Um, mm-hmm. but a lot of the organizing that, um, that got me involved in this came out of Oregon state penitentiary, which is the level four prison in Oregon. Um, and I remember doing research projects on this thing in, co- in college, and that thing was out of date when they built it. It's a very old school prison. It's a very, um, you know, multiple wings. Everyone's crossing which ways. Um, like, everyone you can see into every cell. you got, like, a death row on it. You have um, the open yard and all that stuff. And a big piece of how like the conditions of prison are implemented there in Oregon is based off of this reward system, right? um, Incarcerated people in Oregon are not paid a wage. They're paid for behavior, and the behavior is working. Um, And there's this institutional weight that's put on, like, if you don't behave well, you will end up in the hole. If you don't behave, if you don't behave by going to going to work every day, you will not be able to afford these necessities, right? You will be doing these 40-hour weeks, and you will be doing um, these incredibly hard jobs, really, and you'll be happy about it. Like you, that will be enforced, and like it's so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it sucks that I can't um, speak more to it, but it's just like it's just not good. <laughs> it's like comically bad. Well, we do have another spokesperson from Oregon available today. Um, not live, but in the track. <laughs> well, we had our uh, press conference. Brother Sterling Cuneo uh, spoke on behalf of Measure 112. Uh, I want to play what he said along with a little bit of music, but can you tell us about Brother Sterling Cuneo first? Because he was uh, described to me Sterling as a, is, a superstar. Sterling is probably one of the best poets on American soil right now, if I can be honest with you. This man has absolutely changed my life. I remember um, when I first met him, he was still inside of Oregon State Penitentiary, and I was in class with him. 
And I remember listening to him speak and being like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to work to help get guys like this, get guys like this on a platform where they can speak and make change. And that, and he has, he's honestly one of the most impressive people that you're ever going to meet because he got out of prison and hit the ground running. He is, he is like a real lead organizer on Measure 112. He is someone who I aspire to be like. He's one of the most well-read. He's one of the most thoughtful. He's one of the most inspirational people that you can talk to for guys inside the walls or outside. Um, he gets nearly universal praise from the people who meet him. So I'm yeah, super stoked to listen to oh, what I've got to say. It, it takes a poet, brother. You know, spoken word poet. You know, uh, and you know, you can look him up on YouTube, Sterling Cunio, C U N I O. He's got poems like Twelve Years with an Angel, Resiliency, We Will Win, and Day After Day. So make sure you look up this poet. In the meantime, let's hear what he had to say at the press conference. You'll be listening to Sterling Cunio. From the ASNN press conference, followed by Ball of Confusion, a bank robber's remix. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parkes and Yusuf Hassan. Today we're joined by representative for Measure 112 in Oregon, Brother Riley Burton. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Next, we'll hear from um, Oregon campaign. We have Sterling Cuno. Sterling is the executive board member of the Oregonian United to End Slavery. Um, Sterling? Ballot Measure 112 removes the slavery loophole in Oregon, where upwards to 68% of the residents polled don't even know this racist relic still exists enshrined in both law and practice. This bill began when a group of young students from Willamette University and a group of men incarcerated inside the Oregon State Penitentiary decided to get the slavery exception to the voters. For the prisoners, it is about shedding the status of slaves. And for the students, it's about wanting to live in a society where slavery does not exist in any form. From the underground, A grassroots effort grew into bipartisan support in the passage of Senate Joint Resolution 10 and is now before the voters in one month. And we believe Oregon voters will vote to remove the slavery loophole as a reflection of our state's current values. However, our path to victory is not easy nor guaranteed. Not only are we an effort with one of the state's smallest ever campaign budgets, but ballot language that came back from the legislature intended to preserve voluntary community service and work release programs as alternatives has been confusing. Another challenge we face is that Oregon's authorization of slavery and involuntary servitude is bifurcated. The slavery exception and a mandate of labor are in two separate parts of the Constitution, and early advisors believe that dismantling two constitutional provisions simultaneously wasn't as likely to succeed as an effort to dismantle one and then the other. So we are tasked with the movement building for a two-part strategy towards complete abolition. Although we have no organized opposition, 
there have been attempts to sow doubt about the measure, requiring us, Oregonians united to end slavery, to focus our final push on voter education. And therefore, we see our path to victory in raising awareness of slavery's existence still in our states. We are canvassing, phone banking, employing digital campaign strategies, hosting and attending events, and fundraising. To support or learn more about our efforts in Ballot Measure 112, go to OregonianUnitedToEndSlavery.com. Thank you. Fusion. So I'll pass it to you first, uh, 
Brother Riley. What do you think of uh, that that track they just played? I liked that track a lot. I thought that was really nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it does. I think something I really did enjoy about that track, right, is that it does come from the people, right? Um, right. This is with the good transfer from Sterling to to that song is that when we started this thing, right, we did it with the proposition of like when we put this in front of the people, when we say, "Hey, slavery is legal. Let's give our let's give Oregon a chance." to see how they feel about that. That is something, there's something inside of each individual that can honestly look at that language and say, like, this is wrong. This is messed up. This should not be how it is. And when we get these ballot measures together, right, it is one of the purest forms of democracy in saying, hey, something is inherently wrong with our state with the core of our state, with our state's constitution. And I think that any, that any constitutional amendment you make is a revolutionary thing, right? Because it's completely changing a core piece of how a state chooses to function, mm-hmm. of how a group of people choose to function. And I, lo- I love that. I love that a lot. When I uh, put it together, I had to listen to Brother Sterling like a half a dozen or more times as I'm doing the production. And what I wanted to show was the timelessness. You know, what he's saying is not the first time it's said. He's walking in some big shoes who said the same things over and over and over again until we finally get to the point where we can win this thing. Uh, and that was followed by, of course, Ball of Confusion could have been written about today. <laughs> it, it is that timeless. Like everything right. they were saying is going on. The only thing I might disagree with is that it's safe on an Indian reservation because it ain't, <laughs> you know. But other than that, you could have been all about today. Yeah, I was wondering timeless where they were going with stuff. that one. <laughs> yeah. It's just a timeless thing. Like we had – these are echoes you're hearing. We're not speaking our own words. We're speaking the words of the ancestors, and we're the echoes of that coming out until you finally do this. Why would you not want to end slavery anywhere? And we're the only nation I know of where it actually is embedded in the Constitution as a protected institution, right? Mm-hmm. And it right. makes a, it makes for very it makes for a very interesting outcome, right? Like when we talk about this historical walking in the walking in the steps of the ancestors, um, when we started this work, right? And we started coming up with the talking points, started coming up with the discussion topics, started coming up with how we were going to go about getting this through the legislature. Um, The things that came up organically were things that we found through our research had been said again and again and again and again and been repeated again and again. And And the institutions that we were going up against had been historically shown. Just to be there again and again, and it was just like it was like throwing the same setup, throwing the same matchup again for the fiftieth to a thousandth time. Um, and when we took that historical approach to it, looked at like who, what worked in the past, and 
what right. other amazing abolitionists have done, especially like in Utah and Colorado. And when we looked at um, what attitudes mattered and what institutions that we can expect to see some leeway from and which institutions we can expect to see some really staunch um, opposition from, it really helps create the plan. Because like we are standing on the shoulders of giants. It's like a, this is um, – Yes, we can say, like, yeah, lead organizer on this Oregon project, right? But it's really just the final straw that's going to break that camel's back. There is a, uh, <laughs> a million other straws that have, been work, that have worked towards this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. just lucky enough to be at this point. I get that question sometimes. People will come at me out of the side of their face and say, well, it's, it's been like this since 1865. Why do you want to change it now? And, and I'm like, the ignorance, first of all, is yeah. you know, unbelievable. But Foolish. Frederick Douglass denounced the emancipation uh, 26 years afterwards right there in uh, Washington, D.C., which you'll hear part two of tonight. After that, uh, we heard other abolitionists uh, like uh, – I can't get her name right now. But nonetheless, other abolitionists like Asada Shakur – uh, Angela Davis and uh, Lee Woods, all the way up into the 70s, we're talking about this. They just never got this close. We've gotten closer than all of them to the point where we can literally remove the loophole that allows human rights violations to begin. We can start the process with one domino. Slavery's legal. Let's make it illegal. It's been 157 years where it's been freaking legal. Don't you want to know what it looks like when it's not? Isn't that alone worth the the, the price of admission? You see? Yeah, and that's that's not even counting the hundreds of cases that have been brought fighting it as well. You know, not just from those that are enslaved, but also by organizations like the ACLU and the Innocence Project, and the Vera Institute, and Equal Justice Initiative. This has been going on for years. It's just now being done out in the open, more so, uh, so to say, because it's getting media attention. But there's always been this push, you know, to do something about it. So for people who are just saying, well, why you, why you want to do something about it now, it's not that it just wants to be done about now. They've always wanted to do something about it. From the civil rights cases of uh, 18, uh, 1891 or 1903, I believe the case was, or going to when you look at uh, Ruffin versus Commonwealth, 1871, like they've always been trying to do something about it. So it's definitely a misnomer to that. Yeah, they just weren't listening then. They cannot listen now. But our voices are loud, and there's so many of us. Uh, One of the reasons we had a press conference was to show not only that there's real people behind this, and they have their own voices, can speak for themselves. You don't have to talk about them like local organizers. And that's the only I mean, they're doing work that would would get them a Nobel Peace Award, and you're calling them local organizers. (laughs) Like, are you doing anything like this? Like, literally changing the constitutions and ending slavery. It, It just can't be overstated how epic and important this all is. And I know I feel honored to be a part of it. I know you do. And I, I, Riley's already said as much on multiple occasions. 
we all feel the same way. Like we were, like there's something special happening, and we're a part of it, and we want you all to be a part of it too, right? Right. Still Could I agree? We lose you. Yeah. Could not agree more. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yes. Yeah, could not agree more. Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, every ballot that's sent out, every choice that's made here is a piece of history. This is a chance that we fought for for so long. <laughs> that it's, and it's, it's funny, right, because we were talking about how Frederick Douglass, like, was really on this immediately. Right um, on the bat. It's not the first time that we brought it up. And a lot of people want to always characterize these things as new or fresh or local when this is a nationwide problem. And as a nation, we will make a solution to it. When, when we get people out to vote, when we just run this with raw numbers of like if every eligible voter gets a safe access to the polls where their votes can count, we will pass. We will be able to achieve this resounding rejection of slavery, right? And that's what I want as a nation. I want each individual to stand up and say, slavery is wrong. This is against the moral compass. This is against my moral compass. This is against my community's moral compass. This is against my city and my state and my nation's moral compass. Slavery is wrong. Period. <laughs> right? Period. That's it. It's almost it's like the perfect segue, Max. To what? To those who would disagree with what Riley just said. Well, I, I think I'm going to save that one for the, the break, and I want to give uh, Riley a little while. Hey, Riley, are you going to stay with us longer, or are you – just have the first hour available at this point because I know we're on a different time schedule. It's still work day for you. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to bounce pretty soon, but all right. I'm really enjoying talking to you all, so I'll try to stay on as yeah. long as I can. All right, so let's say we got 10 more minutes, and then we're going to do our uh, music break. Uh, in that 10 minutes, uh, let's hear from you. As I said, there's been stories that have come out about you, um, inclusively in the Freedom Five and about what people are doing across mm-hmm. the country. But are they talking directly to you? And what do you want to say to them as a spokesperson for this effort? And when I say them, I mean the masses that you just mentioned, the media, the people listening, whoever. I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of things I want to say. There's also a lot of things that can be better said by the voices of the formerly incarcerated and incarcerated people. I think that this is an issue that touches so many lives because it's not only that your mother, your brother, your sister, your father is incarcerated and turned into a slave. It's that you now have an enslaved family member, right? Um, 2.4 million people touched by the justice system in this country, right? And their families and their families' families are also touched by that system. Mm-hmm. There, there's vicarious victimization here, right? When we steal individuals from their communities and put them on plantations, 
Um, and so something I want to say to the voting population here is let your voice be heard. Take up this moment to scream from the rooftops that this is not okay. Take up, the, take up this moment to, at least in Oregon, we do, we do mail-in ballots. So take up this moment to take five minutes to fill out your ballot and send it in. We do not have to deal with the same level of, of issues that you can see in um, barriers that you can see in other states, right? Um, take, up the mo- take up this moment to fill out your ballot. And when you fill out that circle that says you want to pass Measure 112, just know that you are writing your name into the history books. Mm-hmm. You're writing your name to the history books of making a change that has never before been seen in that state. You are throwing off the yoke of the white supremacist Oregon. You are making a never-before-seen move that has implications for years down the line, but also in the most direct sense will at least allow me to sleep at night knowing that I am living in a state where slavery is illegal. Man, you That's know, huge. You, and you're so right because imagine your granddaughter or grandson and they go to high school and they come home with some homework and they say, you know, grabs what we learned today was that slavery was abolished in Oregon in 2022 uh, by the voters in a ballot initiative. And you'd be like, yeah, I voted for that. <laughs> that was me. I did that. Yeah, that was my vote. And it mattered. And yeah, honestly, be, be on the right side of history. Be on the right, right. side of history here. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no reason not to do it. There's a lot of people making excuses, but that's all they are is excuses. And what you're hearing often is the echoes of these slavers. Just like we are echoing our ancestors, there are those who are echoing their ancestors and saying the same thing with the same questions over and over again. And that has got to end. Uh, Rowdy, tell us also, I know you're doing some fundraising. There's only a few weeks left and you guys need some money. So tell them how they can get you some money. And if you need volunteer support, where they can go to, to volunteer in Oregon in these last few weeks. I mean, you can you can fundraise on our website is probably the, is the best way that goes directly to the campaign, and we're just mobilizing that directly into our field plan, trying to pay for people to go out and get these human interactions. Um, again, like the biggest piece of passing this amendment is making sure that we're having those conversations with the community. Um, it's much it's one thing to read this on a ballot measure; it's another thing to hear it from your neighbor. Um, one of the biggest things that you can – or if you're – for my people who are not in the financial position to give like that, the best thing that you can do and possibly the best thing that you can do even if you can give money is go out and tell your neighbors. Commit yourself to taking an hour out of your week to just talk about this with your community. Talk about this with your network and have them promise to talk about it with their network. Tell them, that you, tell them what you voted for on it. They can make a change here. Repeat the same mantra of, like, we are making a real change. And make sure that everyone knows that we're making a real change so that we can spread that opportunity to be a part of this history. The best possible thing that you can do for this ballot measure 
is to talk about it as much as you can and spread the word that slavery is legal and we can make a change. He said what he said, um, and he'll say it again. <laughs> uh, Oregonians United to End Slavery.com. Oregonians United to End Slavery.com. I know you and others that you mm-hmm. spoke with here tonight and more have been working on this epic effort now for two years. You're only three weeks away. How do you feel? It feels incredible. Um, I still remember uh, that first day that I got a call from my close friend, Nikki. She was like, hey, do you want to take a shot at the Oregon State Constitution? And I was like, I got plenty of time. And we've been doing this volunteer for years now. We, um, we, this has been a complete – for Nikki Jordan and I, the, the under 25s who have, just been, who have been working on this, this has been a completely volunteer thing that has taken hours and so much time, and it's so amazing to see that we are at the doorstep, at the doorstep of making this change. Um, because it really shows that, like, when you're young and motivated, or when you're just motivated, I won't, I'll, leave, I'll leave out the young part. <laughs> the, yeah, there are have the senior power. citizens in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we have the power to make this change. This is, for two years, this has just been a movement that has been some 20-somethings and some incarcerated guys. And as we've gotten the ball rolling, as we've gotten buy-in from community partners and from larger organizations, it's turned into something that we can't stop. If I stopped, motiv- if I stopped speaking for this tomorrow, the ball would keep rolling. If Beautiful. Uh, Nikki Jordan and I move away, the ball keeps rolling, right? Because, like, it just takes that first push to make change happen. It can grow into things that are just um, incomprehensible. So I am incredibly grateful to every organizer who's helped here. I'm incredibly grateful to every person who's out in the field right now talking to the voters. I'm incredibly grateful to um, everyone who started on this journey with me and has supported us all the way through. Especially grateful to you, Max. You were there when we were in the legislature. Um, and it's just been incredible to, like, when, we, when you see something wrong, change it. My dad used to always say to me, if you don't leave a place better than you found it, you're part of the problem. And taking that to heart, if you want to make a change, if you want to make a, if you want to make a place better, Make it better. Work to make it better. It's one thing to say I wish. It's one. It's another thing to say I am going to. Mm. Well, we are certainly proud of you, Riley, and all of the people involved. For sure. Jordan and Sterling and all the others, man. You guys are superheroes in my book, for sure. And I know that you have what it takes to get this done. I'm a firm believer that it only takes one person to change everything. And any one of us can mm-hmm. be that one person at that one moment that is needed. Uh, of course, there's going to be a group to get things done, but it always comes down to your individual choices. And you chose, mm-hmm. chose the right to do the right thing and stuck with it. And uh, you're here to see the finale. 
All right, brother. Thank you so much. Any final comments you want to leave before we get into this uh, music break? Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Um, and this has been incredible, and I love the work that y'all do, and this program's incredible. And, yeah, that's it. Let's thank slavery. Thank you so much. Thank, uh, you. And thank gentlemen, you so much. That was Riley Burton, uh, one, of, one of the lead organizers out in Oregon, who is uh, changing the Constitution to finally remove exceptions to slavery from their state constitution. The supreme law of white utopia, and they're taking it out. They are superheroes. But, you know, we were saying that uh, we're speaking echoes of our ancestors. It's nothing new. And I, I mentioned that there's others who are doing the same thing, speaking in the echoes of their ancestors. And it's gotten so bad in 2022 that they're saying all of the uh, quiet parts out loud. And these are people who are in high positions of office, leaders of mega churches. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, media outlets and even the president of the United States, police. I want to hear you to hear something which is much more powerful in the video itself, uh, because we use the backdrop of a nation film, a portion of that as the backdrop of this video. But you're about to hear Georgia's representative Marjorie Green, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, Tennessee's pastor Greg Locke. Uh, Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, Donald Trump, and the New York police all tell you what they think about today. And it is certainly North Carolina. race-based. Yeah, North Carolina. And it's certainly race-based. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parkinson and Yusuf Hassan. We just had our guest join us, Riley Burton. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. We're all targets now, though, for daring to push back against the regime, and it doesn't stop at a weaponized legal system. I'm not going to mince words with you all. Democrats want Republicans dead, and they've already started the killings. Some people say, well, they're soft on crime. No, they're not soft on crime. They're pro-crime. They want crime. They want crime because they want to take over what you got. They want to control what you have. They want reparation because they think the people that do the crime are owed that. Bullshit. They're not owed that. Joe Biden's 5 million illegal aliens are on the verge of replacing you, replacing your jobs, and replacing your kids in school. And coming from all over the world, they're also replacing your culture. And that's not great for America. It is known in in the black community that most, not all, not all, but most black people are racist toward white Americans. You say it's known. What do you mean? What is your your basis for that? They have been brainwashed over the last 50 years or so to believe that America is a racist society and that, that white folks are trying to hold them back. This is a racial situation. It's not covered that way in the press. It's not even discussed in the press. They don't want to discuss it. They stay away from it. Uh, I don't and agree with whether you. Whether people like it. Oh, that's what we're talking people... about is the race thing. And they, well, they I, this, no, they're this not. This is not I, just I, a shooting. Well, I, I don't think. I think it's a very strong, and in fact, Chicago is another situation. I mean, it's a very racial situation out there. And if you look at what's going on here and Chicago and other places, and the, the press really seldom talks about it. And 
you looked at it over here. As soon as you mentioned his black son, the audience went wild in applause. And that's a very sad situation. That's very sad for the country. And people understand it. In my opinion, the press does not really discuss it. They talk about riots, but they don't say what's at the core of the riot. And frankly, uh, it's a very big problem in this country. And it's a problem that is not discussed or certainly not discussed in any great detail. And it has to be. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. You get pissed off as you want to. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. They are God-denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. Bunch of devils. I'm sick of it. They want to talk about the insurrection. Hmm. Let me tell you something. You ain't seen the insurrection yet. You keep on pushing our buttons, you low-down, sorry, compromisers. You God-hating communists, America, you'll find out what an insurrection is because we ain't playing your garbage. We ain't playing your mess. My Bible says that the church of the living God is an institution that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the Bible says they will take it by force. That's what the Bible says. Veteran Wilmington officers who've been on the job since the late 1990s, think about that, decades on the force, are heard saying some truly vile and racist things, with one of them flat out calling for a race war. This is a police officer who's been there for decades. Quote, we're just going to go out and start slaughtering them effing N-words. I can't wait. God, I can't wait. The officer adding that a civil war is needed to, quote, and I quote him here, wipe them off the effing map. That'll put them back about four or five generations. Abolition. Abolition. You know, having to let that finish playing out so people can really contemplate what the Wicked Witch of the West, Governor uh, uh, Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene said, Alabama Senator. Like we're talking about a, a representative, the House of Representatives, a U.S. Senator, Tommy Tuberville, Tennessee Pastor Greg Watt. Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, former U.S. President Donald Trump, and NC or Wilmington, North Carolina police, and you you, you were playing uh, Max that that track from Birth of a Nation, and we know how racist that was. <laughs> when more so, I'm thinking about fear of a black planet. That's all I could hear just fear of a black planet and just the rich, the vitriol, the hatred in their words. And we could break down what each one of them said, and it's like they all are trying to outdo each other. Who can sound the most racist? Who, who can say the most outrageous thing? Collectively, these were calls for genocide. The publicly... And Every last one of them. With a specific target and using the most horrible fear tactic techniques you could imagine that they've been using since the 1600s. The same rhetoric about how they got to murder, death, kill these people. It started out, of course, uh, what they were talking about. Well, it didn't start out, but you had the Tommy Tuberville 
talking about how all black people that want reparations are criminals and they don't deserve it because they're criminals for being criminals. I, I didn't understand it, uh, where he was coming from with this, but you could tell very clearly that he thought black people were criminals and don't deserve nothing and said as much. And he even said his bullshit straight out. Uh, right. You was had uh, Green talk about five million illegal aliens coming to take your jobs. They're gonna replace your children again. You know, go straight to the to the murder, death, kill because they're going after your babies. Uh, they're gonna replace you in government. They're gonna replace you in everything. Five million of them. Well, I don't know if they know it, but there's like 280 million white people in this country. Five million ain't enough to replace y'all. I'm just saying right. it ain't enough to replace y'all. So I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, oh, then, facts be damned. You know that. Right, them facts, facts be damned. You know, that's. I think McDonald's has more employees than that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, then we're talking about what the president was. He had the reporter, I forget his name, from Fox News, confused because he said they're not talking about the race thing. And the reporter's thinking, oh, yeah, they're making it all about killing black people, black people, black people. And he's like, nah, bro. The black people are the real racists here. They're always at the core of the problem, and it's a big problem in this country. These black people are always right at the heart of it. That's what he was saying. The freaking president was saying that the black people are the real racists, and they're the core problem in America today. Man. And and out loud, and then of course, uh, Greg Locke talking about how you can't be a Christian and a Democrat. Well, what does that say? Because the majority of black people are Democrats. So you're saying none of these black people are Christians. That whole Baptist thing that they got going on, that's all false idols. They're not Christians. They're baby-killing, demon, communist, uh, murderer, rapists uh, who by force, because God told you that you're going to put them down and take everything, take your country back. Uh, I don't know where they're in charge of it, but you know, you should check the driver's seat first when you're talking about taking something back. Nonetheless, uh, this is the guy with the mega church. And uh, the last one, of course, should have sent chills up your spine. North Carolina, Wilmington, where they actually had an uprising of white people that murdered black people who were in positions of power and overthrew right. the government and got away with it. It actually happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, That's right. These police who were on the force for decades planning for a race war, saying, uh, I can't wait to just go out and start slaughtering these Negroes. And he said the, the harsh part. I, I'm saying the polite way. But that's what the policeman on tape said. And it had to be found by a black police chief. They finally got a black police chief, and that's his first day on the job. That's what he got, knowing that he's dealing with these people. So, yeah. Um, we want to end slavery. They want you enslaved. And if you're not enslaved, you need to die. You, and you need to be dead. <laughs> yeah. You said exactly what I was going to say. That's how, they, that's how they feel. Either you're going to be our slaves or you need to be dead because we have no use for you otherwise. Well, if you're listening and you want to ask a question, make a comment. It's 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. We're open up the lines for a few minutes. If you're already on the line, remember to press 1 to queue up. Uh, Yusuf, you want to carry on? Yeah, sure. 
Uh, oh, one thing that I did want to mention, because we didn't mention it earlier, uh, if you're in Oregon, you have until this Tuesday to register to vote. You can The voter registration deadline in Oregon is this Tuesday, October 18th. You can go to vote.gov to register to vote. And, of course, as uh, Riley let us know, Oregon does mail-in ballots, and there's also the general election on November 8th. <laughs> Thinking about that track that just played, Max. You know, it was just so crazy to think these are the people in positions of power. And they're talking about taking back the country when they're the ones that, yeah, like you said, look in the driver's seat. They're the ones driving this. So take it back from who? You know, I just don't get it. Right. I see we have a caller. Uh, want to take this one? No. Sure. So, so uh, 9875. You're on with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Welcome to the show. Greetings from this great state of Louisiana where enslavement is a rule. I'm calling to bring to your attention the local newspaper, if we want to call it that, did a cover story on the amendment to eradicate slavery from the Louisiana Constitution. As you know, the election is taking place on January 8th. This story said that the sponsor is confused, the language is confusing, so I'm mm-hmm. calling to ask a clarification when I vote yes. on November 8th and encouraging people to vote. I'm certain you're aware of that article that made the front page. Yes. Give me some guidance to tell other people because I'm trying to turn people out to vote. Yes. I was at the event there in Baton Rouge, of course. It was a wonderful event. So, again, give me some guidance on the language, what position, and what to tell the people about the October, excuse me, the November 8th vote here in the state of enslavement called Louisiana. Yes, I, I can do that very easily for you. Um, as you know, this is our second attempt uh, to end slavery in Louisiana. We tried it last year, and nine white Republicans stood up and said, no, we want slavery. Uh, we want this free labor. We don't want to change it. This is the most dangerous bill we've seen come through here. Uh, and if it's allowed to pass, it could open up a can of worms that nobody wants to see. So that happened in 2021, but 2022, we managed to get through them, uh, passed through there, and only because they added a caveat, which is a subsection. The confusion comes in the ballot language, and I think they did that on purpose. In the ballot Mm -hmm. language, it says that slavery and involuntary servitude is prohibited except for the lawful administration of the criminal justice system. That's what it says in the ballot language. But on the actual bill itself, what's going to become a law, it doesn't say that at all. It says slavery and involuntary servitude is prohibited, period. There is no except after that. And then in a really a useless subsection, subsection B, it says does not otherwise interfere with the lawful administration of the justice system. So police got to continue policing. Uh, booking got to continue booking. Guards got to continue guarding. These are all the legal uh, administration, right, of the criminal justice system. But what's illegal? What has a period at the end of it? Slavery and 
voluntary servitude. You can't do that anymore. That's done. So everything else that you've been doing, it's, it's a criminal justice system. We're not going to shut it down with one amendment. That's not going to happen. they got to continue to do their work. But you can no longer use slavery or involuntary servitude. And they know that this is going to cause a problem in Louisiana where people are literally sentenced to hard labor, right? So what happens now? You can't sentence them no more to hard labor. They can actually say to you, no, slave catcher or slaver, I don't want to work today. I, I got a broken foot. I got COVID. Or I'm just sleepy and I want to stay in this bed. I don't give a damn about you or anything. You can't punish them for that anymore. Because if you're punishing people for refusing to work, that's called involuntary slavery, uh, involuntary servitude. And if you're sending mm-hmm. them out to fields to pick things and, and work, uh, you know, under the sun and the heat without even a bathroom around, at gunpoint, that's called slavery. So there's a period at the end of involuntary servitude. It says slavery and involuntary servitude is prohibited, period. That's actually what the law says. What people see on the ballot is this party who wants to keep slavery going trying to confuse us. I suggest telling them to read the actual bill itself. You might even want to print it out and say, look, this is what it says. Okay, that's what I'll do. God, thank you for that clarification. (laughs) Yeah, it's some sneaky stuff, bro. You know, this is a big thing. You've had 157 years of slavery, and the last thing they want to do is see it end. You have people who are pro-slavery, and they voted that way last year, Seabow being among the foremost of them. And apparently he's standing there with Edmund Jordan. Hmm. And not to mention Angola, the prison itself being the size of Manhattan. It's still the slavery plantation, so they definitely want to keep that going. Right. Call it what's your and, name, and- by the way. My name is Kwaku, K-W-A-K-U. I'm right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Lifelong Louisiana resident. As a child, I visited people up in Angola, so I know the hellhole that place is. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, and working to turn people out to get clarity on that. And of course, this is typical Louisiana politics to keep slavery yep. going, keep segregation right. going. And I applaud the efforts. That's and, right. Uh, you know, we're going to turn out to vote, man. That's what we got to do, uh, regardless of what they might say. We know what we're voting for. What we got Absolutely. to lose. Absolutely. <laughs> what do we got to lose? Sounds, See, us losing nothing. Sounds good, and thanks for the clarification. It's a pleasure. Is this your first time calling into the show or first time listening it is, to the it show? Is, it's my first time. When I saw that article, I said, let me make certain to call in. this. I listen to the show every week. Okay. That's why when the program was there in Baton Rouge, I was there. Yes, when we yes. were at the library. At the library. At the right. library. Yeah, heard okay. about it here yeah. on Abolition Today. Yeah, so I listen awesome. to the program every day, but this is my first time calling in, and it's good and it's formative, and, you know, we just got to keep keep on moving forward. I know all this. I've worked with Norris and, you know, volunteered and all of that movement. It's a very important movement here. It is indeed. Thank you uh, for calling in. Uh, you know, there's my, my so point. many people – there's so many ways that they exploit us when we get into these prisons. This is why prison is too big to fail in the eyes of enslavers. It's the heart of everything that they've going on, not just the prisons, but also the jails, the detention centers, uh, the courts. They all are revenue generators of the highest order, and they sustain entire communities. 
counties. And Louisiana is one of those states that likely couldn't exist as we know it now without these jails and prisons and the money that is generated and the labor that's generated. And when I say exploiting, I want to go back to something you said, Yusuf, about how this uh, Department of Corrections Food Service Administrator back in 2008 had got caught. He was making over a million dollars in bribes and kickbacks, which supplemented his $79,000 annual salary by doing what? By either starving or poisoning, like literally giving this bad, rotten food to inmates in Oregon. And they had contracts with multiple states. It wasn't just Oregon. It was Oregon. It was Texas. It was California. It was Washington, D.C. And Nevada all were being provided their food the inmates by this same person who was willing to poison people. Remember the rat poisons and stuff that was coming out of the food? Right. They had pictures of it. They had uh, pictures of all kinds of like maggots in the food. This is what they were doing. And, and even labels saying not fit for human consumption. Saying it. Uh, and then we had the story with Alabama is another example where in Alabama the sheriffs apparently there's a rule or law, or whatever it is, that allows them to keep any money they don't spend on prison food. So if you're a sheriff and you have a parish, or if you're a sheriff and you have a jail, uh, if you uh, get a budget of a million dollars and you only spend one dollar, you have $999,000 that you can keep. So this sheriff in uh, Alabama was doing exactly that. He wasn't the only one. He had bought himself a condo on the beach. He bought himself one of the most expensive cars. He was bringing in $700,000 a year extra starving the inmates who were in pre-trial detention centers. Yusuf? And yet, people will ask us, is it symbolic? (laughs) Right. Right. Is it symbolic? That's why Curtis said in the press conference, he said, of course you can ask that question if you've never been through it, to know what it's like to have to be in there and be fed food like this, because the brothers that are striking down in Alabama, they're putting out pictures of the food that they're being fed. First, their meals have been cut down to two meals a day. They're no longer getting three meals a day. And they're giving stuff like a slice of cheese and maybe like a scoop of powdered mashed potato, watery mashed potatoes, and that's considered a meal because they're punishing them for just wanting to be treated humanely. For wanting to be treated humanely. And instead of even considering releasing people, because they're not doing any of that, they're just throwing these prisons up more to the point where one of those prisons in Alabama has 320% occupancy right now. You know how inhumane it is to have 320% occupancy in a place built for only a limited number of people, people on top of people on top of people. It's like cordwood. You're stacking them like the slave ships coming from Africa. Uh, And it's a majority black people. Uh, And the governor, Kay Ivey, has tried to contract out nearly $2 billion in prison contracts to build new prisons. And she took 
like I forget how much money Alabama got from the COVID relief funds, but apparently she's taken tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars from that to try to build more prisons so that she can give these no big contracts out to her buddies, like that guy I just described with the food industry. Somebody got to build uh, prisons. Somebody yeah. got to put the pipes in, like Chase Shizzle That's said, right. right? Chase Shizzle. It's, it's Alabama generator. Yeah, Alabama received $40.5 million in COVID relief. And how much are they Just using to fill for in the, the blank. How much are they using how, for the prisons? Yeah. Well, let's see. If I can do a quick search, I can find that out. But I just wanted to make a statement. So when you're talking, you said 300-something percent capacity. Okay, $400 million. But I just want to read backtrack on something that you just said. What's the capacity of the prison? 300 and what percent? 320 percent. So just to give people like a visual of that, I was locked in a cell for five years, 23 hours a day with another person. Cell, what are we saying, maybe 8 by 6, 10 by 6 maximum. Mm-hmm. 23 hours a day of having to use the bathroom or listen to the other person using the bathroom, you know, just no real private space. You know, if the person is someone who doesn't bathe or if they have some type of illness, like you're locked right on top of this person. And now when you talk about 300%, you're now talking where it would have been six of us in that cell. Six and one. one, uh, Right. In the cell, it was really only made for one person. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But they put two in, and and that was cramped to be that two, and I'm imagining if it had been six of us in there. Right. And I can imagine the psychological effects that that has, something that they're never thinking about, the psychological effect of what it would be like for a person to have all them people right on top of them, 24 hours a day. Just like they don't think of the psychological effects of solitary confinement, what it's like to be locked away for decades, no one that you can talk to, no human contact, many times no light, no running water, fed rancid food. This is inhumane, you know, so either the Eighth Amendment, you know, where it talks about cruel and unusual punishment, either that's just symbolic or it's real. What do you think, Max? Um, I think it's real, but there's no one defending it. The people who are supposed to defend it are oath breakers, liars, and thieves. Uh, Just look at who's... The governor is KIV, as we just said. She actually is using four hundred million of the two point two billion that Alabama received in COVID uh, relief to build three new mega prisons. Come on, why, why don't you just let some people go? Look at the story we had out there just recently with the brother that was doing life possibility of parole because of an eight dollar robbery. Why is he in right. prison again? You know, and how many of them are like that? We've been reporting stories like that for years and years. 
about how people who have no business still being in the prison. He's 95 years old, dying of cancer, and you let him out like one day before he dies. That's how they do it. <laughs> you right. Know? Because they, they want to keep these bodies because the bodies generate the revenue. And when they run out of bodies or they get more space to add more bodies, they go get them. They just criminalize some people. Right. Alabama's like uh, one of the fifth poorest states in the country. Nearly 20% of this population lives in poverty, and this is ripe ground for slave catchers in a state that is known as a slave state, Alabama. Well, we are definitely tune in next week because we're going to go in on Alabama next week. Oh, yeah, we've been collecting data on Alabama now for about three weeks, actually more. Uh, but, yeah, for three weeks, pretty deeply collecting some data on Alabama. And the other day when they did the rally, I did a full report, just the facts, about Alabama, past, present, um, and future, actually, uh, so that they can use that information out there during the rally. So uh, some of our ASNN reps did use that information out there. Uh, you know me, man. I, I don't want to talk about what I think. I'm going to tell you what I know, <laughs> you know, what I know. And if I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know. But if I know, I know. And here are the facts. So I put together a nice uh, – today with Oregon, man, there were so many things to share on that. Uh, Brother Riley, uh, very passionate. Uh, Brother Sterling, uh, good to know that he's a spoken word artist. I'm telling you, man, if you ever got a cause and you want to win, you better get some spoken word artists around <laughs> to speak for you because uh, they know how to talk. They condense information and they're really good at hitting you with quotes max. And get straight to the point. Straight to the point. Yep. Man, we have to write poems in a in, like in slam. You have three minutes to write. That's all you have for your poem. So it can't be longer than three minutes. And people put entire uh, novels into that three minute space. You know, uh, I remember uh, someone saying, I forget who it was, but they said that. In, a scriptwriter can create a movie that's about two hours long. Uh, author can write a novel that's four or five hundred pages long, but a poet can put all of that more in one page. Right. Yeah. Speaking right. of poets, speaking of poets, mm-hmm. we might even have some time for a poet. What do you think? Oh, of course. You know, I'm always down. We got yeah we got a, we got some minutes left during the press conference we ended with a poem that was written for the Abolish Slavery National Network and performed by MEP Body Tony Award winner Georgia Me close personal friend of mine um, and I didn't know at the time that we used the poem to finish off the press conference that the next day she would be on the Tonight Show and she was on the Tonight Show the very next day uh, along with Killer Mike doing his new single uh, with The Roots uh, as well. So let's share what Georgia Me and Killer Mike presented on the, to the Tonight Show uh, just last week. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, uh, and I see we got a number we'll get back to you right after this track. Abolition, Abolition. Abolition. Today. Performing his new single, Run, with a little help from The Roots, DJ Cutmaster Swift and Georgia Me once again, Killer Mike. These souls of black folk ain't no joke. Full of joy, resilience, the epitome of hope. 
Just in how we cope day to day through this maze of America, we learn how to play and master. Had no choice but to jump higher, run faster, move quick. They pass a God's image as criminal in every flick. In every aspect of media, a lie is what they feeding you. But I'm here to teach you, bruh. We the truth, equipped to overcome, we the ones. You a winner out the gate, shouty run. It's how you look at the world you've been put in because of your skin. Will I succumb or be a casualty to evil? Am I going to fight to the end? Am I committed to the progression of my people? Are we going to let the state killing us be a trend? Fight, we always win. It's part of our legacy, from plantations to presidency. Release the hesitancy and become emboldened. We show ain't what they said we be. We black, so you know we holding. Through holding back, because the movement's never done. Set your sights. Run, God, run. New York City, go to church. God don't like ugly, I ain't one to judge. Whole, whole lot of gold, Cubans way a pun. Say I kept it solid when it's all said done. All I know is keep going, run, better run. Mama told me never fold, run, better run. Like Jenny told for a thump, run, better run. The race for freedom ain't won, run, better run. Cause out the red clay, run, better run. The west side of Atlanta, yeah, that's where I'm from. Outside, I was hands on like a glove. Moving like my guy Nori, eating on the run. Still an underground king, and that's worth the fun. Locked in like Rice Street without a bun. I was playing with the powder way before the brunt. My wife was born a redhead and now she a blunt. Politicians lie and your favorite rap is a cunt. Don't check for me without a check for me, that's a hunt. The only L's I wear as far as I'm a pun. Get money and the power, teach them why they're young. Blessed to make it out the slum, run, better run. All I know is keep going, run, better run. Mama told me never fold, run, better run. Like Jenny told for a dump, run, better run. The race of freedom ain't going, run, better run. Before the ones never won. Hurt feelings going on. Beat the odds like a drum. Run, run, better run. Take off. Run, better run. Run, better run. Mama told me never fall. Run, better run. Like Jenny told for a dump. Run, better run. The race for freedom ain't won. Run, better run. It's for the ones that never won. Hurt feelings going on. Beat the odds like a drum. Run, run, better run. Run, run, better run. Church gospel, amen. Oh my goodness. Abolition. 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 Yeah, yeah. You just heard Killer Mike on the Today Show featuring Georgia. Oh, the Tonight Show. (laughs) The Tonight Show. And that was featuring The Roots, 
and Georgia me, you know, Georgia me just really laid it down there, you know, uh, and it just goes to show that you can be authentic and still get your shine. There's so many people, you know, they want to go and put up a front trying to get places when she's out there being her authentic self. And here she is being broadcast over the world in her authenticity. Right. You know, that's the, that's the same way you talk we got all the time. Too, yeah, for sure. So right. I believe that Savannah, maybe, 2444. You're on with Max Parthens and Yusuf Hassan. Hey, guys. It's Savannah. Hey, 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 Savannah. Hey. Savannah, superhero. Uh, what was the word, the, was the name you're going to wear on your T-shirt now? Uh, the badassery. Oh, I know. You got it ready for me, Max? Man, it's been a hell of a weekend. Um, I was trying to get on earlier, but my phone was acting up. But you guys have had a great show. It's great to hear um, Riley on supporting Oregon. I know they've been working on that legislation for a while. And it's always great to see, like, young people empowered to, like, right the wrongs of history. I'm just, I'm always so inspired when young people, um, you know, are moved to try to create change. So I think that, not that you know, any other campaign is, is any less important, but I just really important to me um, that young people try to know and understand and learn history and not just that, but like, you know, like exactly what they're doing, try to create change. So um, I just appreciate um, him being on the show and being able to hear all the things that they've done to work on in the slavery in Oregon. Amen, Miss Badassery. <laughs> yeah, we, it's been an eventful weekend. I heard you shout out ASN was in Alabama this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you're going to have him on the show, so I won't talk too much about Alabama, but it was an amazing weekend. Um, just a, an absolute, like, wonderful showing of support for the people on the inside. They absolutely needed it, they absolutely appreciated it. Um, and I got to see Sister Jamelia, our ASNN, um, you know, partner, California partner, and meet Did some other meet powerful Jamita? people. Did you get to yes, meet Jamita, Jamita Bishop? Yeah. Jamita uh, Bishop in Atlanta, wow. Georgia. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, a, a room, not a room, but just a space of so much power and everybody just lending their voices to help these guys on the inside. I know a lot of a lot of us kind of have like indirectly been in conversation about Alabama, um, but just for us to all be in the same space, you know, with uh, Pastor Glasgow, who you know has been working in Alabama for years, um, on the steps of the state capitol with the governor peeking through the window. Peeking like, through the window, just, y'all was chanting, "Ivy got to go," and poison Ivy. <laughs> It was amazing, and I was tired because I didn't get any sleep, but it all made up for it, you know. And, oh, the other, uh, Celinda was there, too, from New yep, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm that was you. huge. Yes. Yes, it was amazing. Yeah. It's it's beautiful to see now that when these things go down, it's people with a mission, 
uh, slavery abolitionists coming down to clarify, to, to bring the truth, to point out the root cause of the problem rather than being all over the place. Like, yo, you do know what they're doing here, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And that's beautiful to see that. There was a time when there wasn't enough of us to be spread around, but now we can get there, and we usually already are there. Um, yeah. The brothers on the inside right. Alabama are slavery abolitionists, right on the inside. They're the ones that wrote the demands, along with jailhouse lawyers speak, saying that they wanted congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment. They wanted slavery to be ended in uh, their states. Yeah. There and you know, Max, I didn't make any posters because I was traveling, but there were so many posters referencing like the ending of slavery, which the the rally itself was about overall just the mistreatment of the incarcerated people in Alabama. But there were so many references to abolition that it was inspiring, just that people, it just proves that people are listening and they're learning Mm -hmm. from all these avenues and all these platforms and all these conversations that we've been having. Um, And I didn't have to make a sign because there were signs everywhere like abolish slavery, Article One, Section Thirty Two, and I was just, I was warm and fuzzy inside because it's, you know, it's just so humbling to see it all come to fruition and see the community just be ready to like stand in the gap for the people who need them. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the ASNN has been a champion in that, bringing all of these uh, folks together so that they can work as one rather than individually. And uh, really help each other to succeed. Oregon and Alabama working together every week. We got Louisiana and Tennessee working together every. You know, all of these states are involved. It's so much more than just any one of us now. Um, what did Riley say yeah. earlier? If I gave it up today and I moved on, I had to do something else. This fight's going to continue. It's too late to stop it now. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's rolling downhill. The uphill battle, I think, is over. Now it's rolling downhill, picking up steam. Um, well, we've got a we got about two more minutes left, um, and then we got to get into uh, our sponsors and uh, play our final track. This week is the conclusion of uh, Frederick Douglass's speech of 1888, where he denounced the emancipation as a fraud on the world. You definitely want to hear that. It's probably the greatest speech he's ever given. Um, and that speech is read by Doc Ken Smither. Uh, shout out to Doc Ken Smither. Uh, Savannah, any final comments before we get into our uh, thanking our sponsors for this evening? No, I just want to say thank you guys for just always showing up for the cause and showing up for us. I know I appreciate it. I know all of our partners appreciate it. This is a wonderful um, educational resource for any and everybody. It's free. And I always encourage people to come on and just um, listen and, and provide your input, you know, whether you agree or not, because I believe that's the way that you create changes and having those conversations about what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So, again, just thank you guys and just keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Indeed, sister, we will. And thank we you so much. have a lot of people out there that listen to us in places where they can make a difference. I remember speaking to our brother Edmund out of Michigan just before they organized to get their bill in Michigan, which just happened a couple of weeks ago, by the way. He said he was explaining to me that he found out because his mother is an attorney 
working in the uh, criminal in the cr- criminal integrity or is it the justice integrity unit in Michigan? Justice Justice Integrity Unit. In Justice Michigan. Integrity it's Unit. A, yeah, she's an avid listener. So shout out to moms. We are mom approved a few times over now. So shout out to mom. Yeah, uh, she listens every week. He said and told him about it, and he reached out to me, and I gave him the package to get everything started up so they could get their bill uh, submitted, and they've done it. So Michigan's gonna be on the ballot next year. <laughs> next year is gonna be awesome. All right, I want to thank our guests who came in tonight, our callers tonight. Uh, we appreciate you, Ubuntu. Uh, I am because you are. Uh, we wouldn't be without you. And we'll continue to That's do right. what we do. Uh, we've only got a few weeks left now. The next time we talk to you, we'll be talking about how there's only two weeks left. <laughs> and we'll be here without a battle. Wow. Uh, and until that time, uh, we are going to be boots on the ground, and we need everybody to stand up now. Let's get people out there voting. All hands on deck. The truth. All hands on deck. This is not the time to sit out and watch. You get to be a hero. Do it. Yes. So I want to thank our sponsors and our partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. That's where you'll find all the news, information, and music you'll hear on the program. You can also visit our website, abolitiontoday.org, to catch all of our streams. Go all the way back to 2020, season one. If you're a new listener, we cover, we broke down every aspect of this slavery system that they have set up through the 13th Amendment. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. You can visit abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. Text in the exception, E-N-D-T-H-E-E-X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N, all one word. Text that to 52886 and follow the prompts to send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. Special announcements, so we're letting you know a couple of weeks in advance. Be sure to tune in. Of course, you tune in every week, but be sure to tune in on November 6th. Sunday, November 6th, we'll be joined by Tina Wyatt, or rejoined by her. She's the great-great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman, and we'll also have the representatives from the Freedom Five, Vermont, Oregon, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Atlanta. And Alabama, yep. two days before Election Day. So you definitely want to tune in for that one because it's sort of like our last hurrah before and, Election Day. And let me just add to it, today is the anniversary of John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Oh, that's right. Yep, that's uh, right. October 16th through 18th, 1859. Uh, I bet you John Brown would look at us and go, that's my man in them. Ooh, he'd be proud. Yes, my man's uh, in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely make sure you all tune in for that. If you're unfamiliar with John Brown and the tremendous feat that he's done, look him up. John Brown. Look up John Brown raids on Harper's Ferry. So as Max mentioned, this is going to be part two of the Frederick Douglass speech entitled I denounce the so-called Emancipation Proclamation as a stupendous fraud. 
and this speech was given on the 26th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. We spoke in Washington, D.C., and what he said shook the nation, and the name of the speech says it all. So this is part two. Enjoy that. Thank the callers. Thank our guests. Thank you, Max, for putting together a great show this week while I was away tending to my mom. Uh, We'll be back next Sunday, inshallah, God willing, October 23rd, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Not only is the love of power there, but a talent for its exercise has been fully developed. This talent makes the old master class of the South not only the masters of the Negro, but the masters of Congress and, if not checked, will make them the masters of the nation. It was something more than empty boasts in the old times. When it was said that one slave master was equal to three northern men, though this did not turn out to be true on the battlefield, it does seem to be true in the councils of the nation. In sight of all the nation, these ambitious men of the South have dared to take possession of the government which they, with broad blades and bloody hands, sought to destroy. In sight of all the nations, they have disregarded and trampled upon the Constitution and organized parties on the sectional lines. From the ramparts of the solid South, with their 153 electoral votes in the Electoral College. They have dared to defy the nation to put a Republican in the presidential chair for the next four years, as they once threatened the nation with civil war if if elected Abraham Lincoln. With this grip on the presidential chair, with the House of Representatives in their hands, with the Supreme Court deciding every question in favor of the states as against the powers of the federal government, denying to the government the right to protect the elective franchise of its own citizens, they may well feel themselves masters, not only of their former slaves, but of the whole situation. With these facts before us, tell me not that the Negro is safe in the possession of his liberty. Tell me not that the power will not assert itself. Tell me not that they who despise the Constitution they have sworn to support will respect the rights of the Negro, whom they already despise. Tell me not that men who thus break faith with God will be scrupulous in keeping faith with the poor Negro laborer of the South. Tell me not that a people who have lived by the sweat of other men's faces and thought themselves Christian gentlemen while doing it 
will feel themselves bound by the principles of justice to their former victims in their weakness. Such a pretense in face of facts is shameful, shocking, and sickening. Yet, there are men at the North who believe all this. Well, may it be said that Americans have no memories. We look over the House of Representatives and see the solid South enthroned there. We listen with calmness to eulogies of the South, of our traitors in forgotten Annisfield. We look over the Senate and see the Senator from South Carolina and we forget Hamburg. We see Robert Smalls cheated out of his seat in Congress and forget the planter and the service rendered by the colored troops in the late war for the Union. Well, the nation may forget. It may shut its eyes to the past and frown upon any who may do otherwise, but colored people of this country are bound to keep fresh a memory of the past still justice shall be done them in the present. When this shall be done, we shall as readily as any other part of our respected citizens plead for an act of oblivion. We are often confronted of late in the press and on the platform with the discouraging statement that the problem of the Negro as a free man and a citizen is not yet solved, that since his emancipation, he has disappointed the best hopes of his friends and fulfilled the worst predictions of his enemies, and that he has shown himself unfit for the position assigned him by the mistaken statesmanship of the nation. It is said that physically, morally, socially, and religiously, he is in a condition vastly more deplorable than was his condition as a slave, that he has not proved himself so good a master to himself as his old master was to him, that he is gradually but surely sinking before the point of industry, good manners, and civilization to which he attained in a state of slavery, that his industry is fitful that his economy is wasteful, that his honesty is deceitful, that his morals are impure, that his domestic life is beastly, that his religion is fetishism, and his worship is simply emotional, and that in a word, he is falling into a state of barbarism. Such is the distressing description of the emancipated Negro as drawn by his enemies and as it is found reported in the journals of the South. Unhappily, however, it is a description not confined in the South. It has gone forth to the North. It has crossed the ocean. I met with it in Europe. And it has gone as far as the wings of the press and the power of speech can carry it. There is no measuring the injury inflicted upon the Negro by it. It cools our friends, heats our enemies, and turns away from us 
much of the sympathy and aid which we need and deserve to receive at the hands of our fellow men. But now comes the question. Is this description of the emancipated Negro true? In answer to this question, I must say yes and no. It is not true in all its lines and specifications and to the full extent of the ground it covers. But it certainly is true in many of its important features. And there is no race under heaven of which the same would not be equally true with the same antecedents. And the same treatment which the Negro is receiving at the hands of this nation and the old master class to which the Negro is still a subject. I admit that the Negro, and especially the plantation Negro, the tiller of the soul, has made little progress from barbarism to civilization, and that he is in a deplorable condition since his emancipation, that he is worse off in many respects than when he was a slave. I am compelled to admit, but I contend that the fault is not his, but that of his heartless accusers. He is the victim of a cunningly devised swindle, one which paralyzes his energies, suppresses his ambition, and blasts all his hopes. And though he is nominally free, he is actually a slave. I here and now denounce his so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud, a fraud upon him, a fraud upon the world. It was not so meant by Abraham Lincoln. It was not meant by the Republican Party. But whether so meant or not, it is practically a lie, keeping the word of promise to the ear and breaking it to the heart. Abolition. Hi, my name is Jeanette Smith. I am a slavery abolitionist. Some of you may know me. I'm doing this recording because I would like to ask if any of you can help with some financial assistance. Max and Yusuf do not like to ask for money, so I would like to ask on their behalf because they and other abolitionists pull money out of their own pockets, and this is so important. So if you can help, you can find the information at the top of the Facebook page for Abolition Today. Thank you. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. <laughs>